<laughs> it's my distinct privilege uh, to introduce to you uh, Brother Jim Baird, Distinguished Professor of Bible at OC. Um, he's served many roles at OC over the years. He's been the director of the honors program. He's been Bible chair. He's been many, many different things um, and served the university um, through the years. He comes to us um, by way of the Wilshire Church of Christ, where he's the pulpit minister, um, preaching, he tells me, three out of four Sundays a month. Um, I guess this is his Sunday off, and he's <laughs> decided to come and share it with us. So I'm um, very excited to have him with us today. Now, I know Jim from a long, long time ago. I've got stories um, that, that most people don't have because my mother was his older sister's best friend growing up. And so Jim is the, the baby of the family. She knows stories. She knows stories. So, Which we will not be sharing today. <laughs> There's one I have to share. No! <laughs> There's one I have to share, and it's, uh, it, it's what always stuck out, stuck out in my head when I thought of Dr. Baird before I met him at OC was um, I had a kindred spirit, right? Because he was eating um, something, and like I'll always remember this because my mom, the way she said it, the way she, the way she introduced it, it was like, yeah, he had a, um, I'm not exactly sure, I think it was probably a coconut cream cake. Right? And he took a big bite, and then he spit it back out. He's like, grass. <laughs> and so I always hated coconut. And so I, I had a kindred spirit. And any time that, uh, that uh, I, I thought of eating coconut, I'd, I'd think of Dr. Baird, and I'd think, oh, such a kindred spirit. <laughs> But I'd also tell you, uh, that history doesn't end there. Um, Dr. Baird was one of my uh, favorite professors at OC. I'm sure many of you all can uh, relate to that. Um, but I had him, uh, he's, he's probably one of the main reasons I'm a Christian today uh, because of his Christian evidences class. And if you read the insert, you know that he has his doctorate in Christian, Christian evidences from Oxford University in England, right? So that being said, he's widely traveled. He's taken trips, uh, student trips to Vienna. Um, he has a heart for the world. He has a heart for missions. Um, he's also the reason that Danielle and I are married today. What? No, literally, he, he officiated our ceremony. Oh, I forgot so that, yeah, he's, that's right. He's the reason that we're married today. <laughs> Um, I forgot that. That's terrible. And, and so um, when, when I talk about uh, Dr. Baird, it's, it's from a place of deep personal fondness, and I'm thrilled to have him with us today to share, um, share the word and encourage us during our March for Missions. So. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, Chris, man, I'm honored to be introduced by Chris Nussbaum. Man, he is a wonderful person. I'd forgotten that I officiated. I've officiated too many when I'm starting to forget them. I'm so sorry, man. 
Okay, in my defense, I was three years old when I spit out that cake, just so you know. I was three. And that was his, uh, his mom's dad's favorite story to tell about me. He probably told that to me every time he saw me for like 10 years. It was every time. It was, he just delighted in that story. Uh, I am really thrilled to be back at Northwest. I'm so excited uh, to be part of your March for Missions because this is a great thing that you do. And, and you may have sustained this longer than any congregation I know. It's certainly one of the longest running uh, mission uh, efforts that I've seen where people just get together, the whole congregation pulls to, to support missions. I love it. I think some of your, uh, your Bible classes have made all these maps up here of the different places that you support. This is, I feel like Paul in Athens, you know, looking at all the different, but this doesn't disturb my spirit. This makes me happy. I'm seeing, uh, and I read on your sheet, you guys support missions in Israel and in France. And um, I've been to that church where Joseph Shulam uh, ministers, and I really appreciate the work you're doing. I've met those kids uh, from that work in Marseille, and uh, that is a a wonderful, outstanding work. I probably preached to some of those uh, preachers that you support in Nigeria, uh, and, uh, and, and I love, I love, I love that you guys go down there and get your hands dirty uh, to support those kids in breaking chains. To me, that is a very dear, I support that myself personally. I, I'm so, so happy that this congregation is working with that ministry, and all the others that you are working for, they are worthy, worthy causes. And I am grateful for the generosity of this church to be supporting those things. Uh, But that's not what I came here to talk to you about. That's why I'm here, I guess. But I came to talk to you about this, this passage from Psalm 34 and the concept behind it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I will warn you, I'm a college professor, so at the end of the week, there will be a test over this sermon. I'm not joking. You laughed, but this is not a joke. On Saturday, you will be required to take a test over this sermon. I will tell you what the requirements are at the end of the sermon. So, I want to ask a question. What is the Christmas present policy at your house. Next slide if you don't mind advancing it. What's the Christmas present policy at your house? Do you guys, are you a, the tree is bare until right before Christmas and then all the presents get put under there? Or are you guys uh, way before Christmas and they start slowly accumulating as, as they come in? I mean, what do you do? You accumulate them slowly, yeah. What do you do? Last minute, yes. It's you know that's right. It, it just it just happens. That's right. Well, my wife, for years, has been uh, three weeks in advance. All the Christmas presents are there. She would like to get it done in October, I think. But uh, three weeks in advance, they're all there, and it makes for a beautiful tree. But it tortures the grandchildren. We have six grandchildren, and uh, four of them are under nine years old. And this is just, I remember this as a kid myself. Uh, You know, it's just, they're there, but I can't have them. 
I know this one says my name on it. How can I not, how can I not have this? Because it's right. And, and the question we always get, that her, they, all the grandkids call her honey. Honey, could I have just one? Could I open just one of the presents, right? And it's that it's, that it's right there, but I can't have it yet feeling that is so frustrating about Christmas. I remember that as a kid. To be honest, I still remember that. I know which presents are mine under that tree. I've scoped them out. They're smaller than the grandchildren. They're actually smaller than the children, too. My sons and daughter, they're smaller than those, too. But, but I know which ones are mine, and it's the same. I can't have it yet. And, and that actually is a good description of the time that you and I live in as followers of Jesus Christ. Because we kind of live in the already but not yet time, don't we? Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and following, Paul says this, we know that the whole world The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they've already seen? But if we hope for what we have not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We live in the not yet time. We know what's coming. Christmas is coming. But right now we're waiting. And it's not here yet. Christmas isn't here yet. Heaven is coming. There's coming a day when everyone on earth will know what you believe right now. Everyone on earth will acknowledge what you acknowledged just a minute ago when you took that bread and you drank that cup. Everyone will know it. Everyone in hell will know that. Satan will know that. Everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow the knee, the same knee you've already bowed to Jesus Christ. That's going to happen. That's Christmas. And everything that's wrong will be made right. Every tear that's cried will be wiped away. Every disease will be healed. That's all coming. But not yet. But here's what I want to talk about today. As we live in the not yet time, God doesn't leave us orphans. He is constantly giving us foretastes of the goodness that's coming. There's so many ways in which he does that. Today, this is what your test is going to be over, by the way, so you may want to take notes. Uh, Today and this week, God is going to put into your life big and little samples of heaven in the form of beauty. He does that all the time. Now, your brain registers beauty, and if you have leisure, you notice it and enjoy it. 
but your brain is actually set up as a problem-solving machine. And so what you tend to pay attention to, all human beings do this, this is just natural, this is just cooked into us. I am set up to go through my life solving problems, right? And beauty, instances of loveliness, don't seem like a problem, right? That's nice, but right now, I gotta solve this problem. Somebody's hurting, somebody's sick, somebody's got this difficulty. I've got this political problem. I got this problem at work. I got this problem with my family. I got I'm my brain does that all day long. Bzz, 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 bzz. Right? That's that's natural. That's what your brain's supposed to do. This is a fallen world and you're God's image and you're supposed to bring order out of chaos. That's good. <laughs> right? That's good. But God actually puts that beauty in there so you know he's here. He actually is talking to you all the time through the bits of beauty that he has scattered in your life. So you know he's there. And he wants you to commune with him through these gifts he's giving you all day long. Big, little, in between. And part of what uh, I'm inviting us to think about this week is living in a way that's conscious of the beauty that God gives us. So we still got to solve the problems that are in front of us. We still got to be God's image bearers and try to do a little good in a bad world. That's what we're here for. But also enjoy the good, the beauty that God injects into the world. And this is important. This actually will make me stronger. This will make me and you better able to resist temptations when they come. It'll actually make me a better uh, problem solver, make me better able to do good in the world if I am living from time to time refreshing myself with the goodness of God and the presence of God in the beauty he puts into the world. Uh, Psalm 65. Psalm 65, verses 8 through 13 says this, The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades. This is a guy who's really tapped into how just ordinary facts about the world are pops of beauty. Just smack us in the face with God's loveliness that he's cooked into the world. Where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and you bless its crop. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. You get it? You get what the psalmist is saying? God did that on purpose. That's not just scenery. It's supposed to be calling forth that response from us. Good job, God. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> of course that's what we're supposed to say. 
That's a good response. That's a correct, it's an accurate response. God did that so I would be happy, so I would rejoice, and so I would know he's there and that he loves me. That verse 8, that verse 8 in Psalm 65, the whole earth, we can advance to the next slide, the whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. This picture is a place that I hope to go someday, but I probably don't have the money to go there. Uh, this is the fjordlands on the South Island of New Zealand, which is why I don't have the money to go there. I've been to New Zealand a few times uh, on mission trips. I've never had, I've, you know, not ever going to go there on a vacation probably. Uh, and I've never been to the South Island at all. And this is on the southeastern edge of the South Island. So it's pretty far away from where I go, which is Auckland. Uh, this has been described by multiple people as the most beautiful landscape on earth. Which is saying something, because there are a lot of beautiful landscapes on earth, right? This has been described as the most stunning, striking, and beautiful landscape on earth. The Fjordlands area of New Zealand. And I've seen some pictures and, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, one of the people who described it that way is one of the most cynical atheist writers I've ever read. Some of you may know the author, Douglas Adams. He's gone now, but he wrote the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy, which ended up being six books, so he was unclear on what a trilogy amounted to. But, uh, but he was... He's, he's a super bitter, cynical person. He's got to, always saw the bad side of everything. Never saw anything really good in the world. It, I, I don't think he had a very good life, honestly. Uh, maybe he was happy, but he sh his writing comes across as just sour, sour, sour. But he wrote a nonfiction book. One of his last books is a nonfiction book where he's trying to make a case for preserving the natural wonders of the world. It's called Last Chance to See. And he's, he's saying, you know, if we don't take steps to stop global warming and do some other things about uh, other aspects of human encroachment, there are some aspects of the natural world that are wonderful that we're just going to lose. So this is your last chance to see some of these things if we don't take steps, right? That was the theme of the book. One of the places he visited is this place, uh, the Fjordlands in New Zealand. And he described it as like a lot of people do, as just the most beautiful landscape he had ever seen. And he added this phrase, which I just love. He's an atheist, like I said. He said, it is a landscape that makes you want to stand up and applaud. Isn't that a great phrase? That just captures the feeling you have sometimes. My question is, if you're an atheist, who are you applauding? Right? In his heart of hearts, <laughs> I think he knows. <laughs> because in your heart of hearts, every time you experience beauty, you know it's not just laying there flat. 
It's a sign of something much, much bigger. And he did too. In his heart of hearts, he knew that. The reason I love that story is the person who first told that to me was a student at OU who was himself an atheist. And he was so troubled by it. He was struck by it. That here's this very cynical atheist writer who, he was bothered by that very problem. Who was he applauding for? Dr. Baird, who was he applauding for? He knew too. And that's kind of the thing about beauty. Beauty is there and it gives us this surge of pleasure, joy. But it's got this, it's got this kind of upward pointing arrow that points farther than we can see. You know, it's just like our brain goes up and then it's like something else is up there I can't get to, you know, but I, this beauty has kind of got this upward point. I, something else is beyond this beauty. I wonder what that is. And it pulls our hearts in that direction. We live in a world um, uh, where one very powerful worldview is sort of reductive. Everything is just atoms, everything is just electron fields or other kinds of physical fields. And everything, re everything actually reduces down to that physical level somehow. So all your hopes, all your dreams, all your thoughts, uh, everything else, somehow, if we just do enough science, we'll be able to reduce all that down to the physical level. Your, your, your love and your desire, that's all nothing but some combination of chemicals and atoms and electron fields, right? It's nothing but that. I call this view nothing buttery, uh, which sounds good because I like butter, but it's not good. It's a, it's a very sad view. It's a very sad view. Nope, you're not going to get her. <laughs> she, she's she's going to win this one, man. Um, and there's no place. Where, hi, Gaddies. I just saw you over there. That's how blind I am. I can't, I just saw you. Um, there's nowhere that this nothing buttery view, this reductive view of life and human beings falls flatter than in the presence of beauty. It just collapses in this place. Because beauty has this upward pointing arrow attached to it. We just, we just can't stop ourselves from seeing something above us when we experience beauty. Um, think of the last time you were in the middle of listening to, really enjoying, maybe a piece of music, or really engrossed in a piece of art, or or reading a truly good book, or watching a really, I mean a movie that had you all the total way hooked, right? This is really a, a well done movie. Not the usual garbage, but a really well done movie, right? And somebody interrupts you. How do you feel? Well, you feel a lot of things. Hopefully you resist most of your temptations. Don't punch people, that's wrong, it's not Christian. But one of the things you feel is 
this, this experience of art, this experience of beauty and art, took me to a place I don't usually get to go to. I was kind of in a higher zone that I don't normally get to visit, and you yanked me back in here to the normal world, right? You, took, you brought me back down into normal reality, and I wanted to go back up there. It's that up there feeling of beauty. It's that there's something higher above this physical level that makes beauty so valuable. That's what makes it so powerful to us. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about this, actually, if I remember correctly. Ecclesiastes 3, verse uh, 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know, that's the experience we have. Well, a lot of things cause that experience, but beauty is one of those where it's just so obvious if you think about it for five minutes. You realize, yeah, again and again and again, this, this is, it's a physical sensation, it's a mental sensation, but it's more. It just tells me almost on its face, this is more, this is pointing above itself to something beyond, something greater, something grander. And I want to go there. It's pointing me to Christmas. It's pointing me to God. It's pointing me to heaven. Uh, who is the most intimidating adult you know? Who, don't name them. They're probably in this room, so don't name them. But who is the most intimidating adult you know? I'm, I'm thinking of a couple. Intimidating. Okay. You want to see that person turn into a pile of mush? Bring them in the same room with their grandchild, their grandbaby. You know what happens to the most dignified, the most intimidating, the most straight-laced person when they get in the same room with a six-week-old or a six-month-old. Because whatever it takes to make that baby smile and respond, right? If I talk to talk like this, I will totally talk like this all day long. I don't care. I don't care if you think I look like an idiot. I could not care less what you think. I'm totally focused on if I can get one tiny giggle or one tiny smile out of this child, I am over the moon about that for the rest of the day, right? That's what God feels about you. He doesn't, he's surrounded by beauty. He is beauty. <laughs> you know, but what he's doing these things for, this, these sunsets are for, the art we're able to create, what it's all for, is so he can get you to laugh and enjoy yourself and to have fun. That's, that's why he does this. He's wanting to love you and wanting to you to recognize he loves you and to love him back. That's why he's doing it. He, he wants you to realize I did this because I'm here. 
and because I want to be a bigger, stronger, deeper part of your life. That's who God is. That's who God is. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers. Here comes your test, by the way. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. That's not a duty. That's a prescription to get you well. I know. It's a fallen world. And we got to solve problems. And we got a lot of problems. And we're never going to solve them all. You are God's agent, God's image bearer here in this world to fix as much of the bad stuff as you're able to fix as your strength holds out. And that consumes your brain. Think on these good things as a way to get yourself healthy so you can do that. That's, that's what Paul's saying. Meditate. Breathe in the goodness of the world. Breathe in when good things happen, when pleasant things are there, when people are admirable and when the world is beautiful. Breathe it in so you can be healthy, so you can get yourself well. Do it. Do it. That's what makes us strong to resist temptation and to serve Jesus the way Jesus needs to be served. That's what this is for. That's what this is for, to make us what God wants us to be. So here's your test. This Saturday, this Saturday, you're going to ask yourself this question. This last week, after that, Wonderful sermon Jim Baird preached. This last week, <laughs> every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and today, did I take some time to really appreciate the beauty that God was putting into the world for me? Did I pay attention? Did I, did I notice when things were wonderful? And did I let God know? Did I let God know that I appreciate that he's made beauty in the world? If you can, at, on Saturday, if you can say, yes, I did, every day, you get an A. You get an A. I get it. We all are kind of Protestants, and, and we kind of have that Puritan feeling in us, you know, if it feels good, it's probably sinful, you know, but do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, but, but honestly, that's not really God's thing, that's, that's somebody else's thing, that's not God's thing, he puts good things in the world so you can enjoy them and you can get strong and healthy so you can do good for the people around you. So this week, live in some of that joy he means for you to have. Live in some of that 
good, healthy pleasure that he is pumping into the world for you too, so that you can be a child of God. If you need to respond to the invitation of God, if there's anything that this church can do for you, we invite you to do what needs to be done as we stand and sing.